0: Welcome to the Why on Earth Community podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. And today we're visiting with the founder and CEO of RAN Marine Technology, Richard Hardiman. Hi, Richard. How you doing?
1: I'm really well, Aaron. Thanks very much for having me on.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to talking with you about your company and your technology and how it's uh, really uh, critical technology for helping to clean up a lot of our waterways
1: yeah thank you i'm looking forward to uh, hopefully explaining how it all works and uh, how we can uh, help the world a little better wonderful richard
0: Hardeman is the founder and ceo of ran marine technology a netherlands-based usb or unmanned surface vessels company a graduate of the gsb cape town richard has been involved in a number of businesses both as startups and scale-ups since graduating in 2009 In 2016, Richard embarked on his most ambitious project yet, developing a waterborne drone that harvests plastic waste from the world's ports, harbors, rivers, and marinas in an effort to reduce the effects of plastic pollution on the Earth's oceans. Richard's company, based in Rotterdam, now produces the Waste Shark, which has been exported globally to the United States, United Arab Emirates, India, Germany, and South Africa. Added to the waste shark's ability to collect waste, Rand Marine has now also pioneered the collection of live data from waterborne drones to measure water health quality. Richard is a former journalist, broadcaster, and TEDx speaker. Recently, he became the recipient of the International AACSB Business School's Most Influential Leaders Honoree Award in the category of CSR and sustainability. That's Corporate Social Responsibility, CSR. He, uh, Richard divides his time between Cape Town, South Africa, and Rotterdam uh, and uh, is traveling further as the business expands into, into new markets. So, Richard, it's such a pleasure to connect with you today and especially given uh, some of what we're seeing around the world with devastating storms and hurricanes i was thinking we might just dive right in uh, to to that as a way to kind of kick off our discussion to help us understand your technology and why it's so important right now in the world
1: Sure, I think it is completely re- relevant right now. Um, so what we do is, as you said, um, create uh, USVs, which are technically little robots for water. You know, um, and our particular USVs are uh, are roombas for water, clean up waste out of water. Um, but they do it electronically. They do it with no no emissions, and they do it robotically. So you can send them out. They scout around for trash or for for um, for algae in the water, and they bring it back to shore um, to our, to our users. So, for instance, now with 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 sort of um, I've been seeing the pictures come in from Florida um, after Hurricane Ian. I mean, it, it, it's crazy, but you, you need you know that that water needs to be cleaned up again. You know, it, it has commercial use. It has it is it needs to be potable. It needs to be cleaned. Um, and sometimes there's just not uh, enough manpower to do that. Um, sometimes there's not enough labor to do it. Um, and this is anywhere around the world, but I think in an instance after a flood or, or a hurricane, it is particularly more relevant that you know you need more people um or you need more labor to clean that up but if you have robots um technology can help clean that up pretty quickly um so we're not looking to replace people's jobs we're just we're just trying to look to to clean water up quicker this kind of pollution that we're having around the world now the last 20 years plastic pollution that kind of thing um more needs to be done and my idea at the beginning of this whole adventure was was to create a robot to do that um i don't think you know humans are creating the waste but it's not always the human's job to clean it up Um, we can do better things Um, so why not let robots do it?
0: So interesting. And so describe for us and we'll include some photos and links, obviously for folks to get more information and see some of the visuals for themselves, but describe for us what this looks like when one of your robots is moving around on the water.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of so. So a typical way shark, which is our sort of our principal um, our principal product, it's the size of a coffee table. Um, it's forgive me for for quoting this in, in metric and not imperial. I can't do the conversion in my head fast enough. Um, but it's about it's about one and a half meters long by by a meter wide, um, two two and a half foot, three foot um, in 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 depth, and it skims the surface of the the, the water, so it doesn't go too far deep. But you, you catch at least the, the top two feet of, of what's in there. Um, and when you look at it, I suppose you, 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 you look at a, a sort of a small craft, a, a, um, a catamaran vessel uh, with a basket in between. Uh, it looks kind of futuristic, I like to think. Um, it's got a, got a kind of cool tech look to it. Um, but all it's doing is, is sailing through the water and, and scooping up what, whatever is in front of it. And at the same time, as you mentioned earlier, picking up the data in the water as well and, and sending that back online.
0: So with the skimming uh, capability, it makes me uh, think about oil spills and some of those yeah. other uh, liquid uh, contamination issues. Is is the technology able
1: to help with that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, one of the cool things about starting off with with having a robot that sort of swims around in water, we've we've in the last years sort of started going like, what else can we do with this platform? And and as long as it's core to our technology of harvesting stuff out of water. Um, oil is a big play in that. So so we recently um, built what we call an oil shark um, that skims uh, oil out of the water, puts water back into the water, but keeps the oil and uh, traps it and brings that back to shore. Um, which i'm hoping in the next in the next three to five years will scale up into something that's big enough to handle um larger oil spills so something like you know the, the the last 10 years in in the gulf region where where you know these big sort of um oil spills help i just see robots going in as first responders there and just starting to to eat at that oil before it starts going back to shore um we've got a small one at the moment it's in trials but i'm, I'm hoping in the next yeah three to five years we'll, we'll have something to deploy offshore as well
0: and, and does it? I'm, I'm suddenly thinking about the uh, huge uh, plastic uh, uh, vortex in the Pacific Ocean. I know it's found in some other uh, oceans as well. Would this technology help with that kind of plastics accumulation out there in the middle
1: of the ocean? So it does help, but it doesn't help. In, 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 in that in those gyres. So what we we sort of as, as a company sort of set out to do was to stop that flow of plastic into the ocean. So we work with um, with ports and marinas and, and, um, and municipalities and state departments that have plastic problems in their rivers or their canal systems that leak out into the ocean. All our, all our sort of waste sharks are deployed in those areas to catch that waste before it goes out. So we're trying to sort of mitigate the problem. We've looked at um, sort of going out there and, and, and helping with what's been done out there, but there's, there's plenty of really solid good companies um, solving that problem at the moment. Um, so we thought we'd rather get involved in the, in the earlier stage at source before it gets any worse. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's great to hear. You know, uh, this, this, Opportunity and uh, all of the innovation happening around drones, autonomous and semi autonomous vehicles for a variety of environmental cleanup and restoration needs. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about our colleague Tom Chi with At One Ventures, who was on our podcast a while back, episode 94, and he shared with us some of the uh, robotic technologies he's working with that can, for example, plant massive amounts of, of baby coral, um, in any given day to help clean that up. Another technology he's, uh, part of is planting from aerial drones, uh, huge quantities of specially coated seeds to help reforestation in certain regions of the world. And i am just, I'm struck that, uh, you know, on the one hand, the human connection with nature obviously is a really important piece to this whole uh pickle and puzzle that we're facing together. But on the other hand, using these technologies to help expand our ability to heal and restore the planet is, is so compelling. And I, I have to ask, you know, with a background in journalism, how how did you how did you get into robotics and technology? Can you describe like what was that leap in process yeah. like
1: for you? I think I've always been a, an inventor and a tinkerer. Uh, I guess you know, even playing with Legos when I was when I was a kid. I, I always say this, and forgive me if you've heard it before, but my 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 father is an engineer and my mother's an artist. Um, so two people who probably shouldn't be together, but I'm the result of it. Um, so I, I always had critical thinking and trying to solve efficiency problems, um, but at the same time, I'm I'm a bit of a dreamer. Um, so I, I had you know, luckily I, I kind of, I, I, I saw a problem and, and I mean, you're quite right. I mean, why, why be solving something that is, you know, so beautiful as our planet and its problems with, with technology, which is kind of weird, you know, I mean, like humans should be going back and sort of solving environmental, we're part of the environment, we should be solving this. And, you know, I, I think my thinking was we've got to do it quite quickly um, and we, as humans, don't have the ability to operate 24/7, and robots do. Uh, and, and it's as simple as that. Robots can simply do more. I, I'm not, I'm not for this AI future of, um, you know, where we'll be sort of hanging around with robots and having coffee, and they'll be more smarter than us. I, I, I see robots as, as they're capable of doing a job. By rote, and they'll do it over and over and over again, and they won't complain. Um, so, I mean, your example of the, the planting of seeds—I mean, it would take us days to plant what how many how you know what a drone probably can plant in an hour. You know, and, and we just simply don't have the time to to catch up with the mess that we've created. So, from my point of view, you know, robots and technology are kind of the savior in that respect. Um, It's an odd dichotomy, but a bit, you know, or weird paradox rather, but 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 it is what it is. You know, we we need to solve this problem. We've accelerated this problem, and now we actually need something to accelerate it in reverse.
0: Yeah, yeah, no no doubt about it. Can you give us an idea of what uh, kinds of plastics, what sizes of plastics, your uh, robots are able to clean up, say, in a marina or a river?
1: Yeah. So we, we go down to um, about three millimeters and again, forgive the, <laughs> forgive the, uh, the, the metrics um, uh, there, but yeah, three miles. So it's quite small, um, but typically if we're on a, on a day out, you know, and we're, we're, we're collecting, it, it's strange what, what, what gets into our system, but it, it's balloons and, and plastic balls and, and um, flip-flops. Are, um, uh, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know what you call them. Flip-flops. Uh, sand- yeah. Flip, flip-flop, they, yeah. They, they, they I mean, all the time, I would probably out of our top 10, you know, balloons and flip-flops are, are what we're taking out of the water. Um, you would have thought of like cigarette butts or, or plastic bottles, that kind of thing. But it, it, it it's, and then they are there, but in the majority, it, it's just stuff that we wouldn't even think about that gets into our system. Um, so we can collect anything from, yeah, down to three mil or up to the size of a, I think of the biggest thing we've caught, um you know, like a, a tire, I, I suppose, like, you know, a car tire would be, would be that kind of, and th- those are basic, but we have a larger one coming in now called a, a mega shock, which will do, you know, should be able to pick up fridges, uh, refrigerators and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it, it's very weird what humans um, end up putting in the water, either, you know, accidentally or, 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 uh, or on purpose.
0: Give us an idea of your customers and, and stakeholders who who who's buying these and how are they
1: getting deployed all around the world so we're, we're manufacturing them here in the, in Rotterdam in, in the Netherlands but we're opening an office um, quite soon in the U.S. Where, where we'll do assembly as well the the the, the, the typical customer is a, a city manager uh, or a state department that has authority over a large area of water um, uh, and are typically sort of combined with an innovation department. So they're looking for new solutions. Um, And we tend to sell, yeah, to to, to city management or um, a state department that is looking for, in Florida, for instance, to to solve algae problems. And so we're taking out algae and we're taking out biomass and and plastics. Um, They're looking to rehabilitate a, a water space. Um, at the same time as cleaning it, they want the data that comes out of it. So we, we also do measurement of data, the, the turbidity of the water, the, the the pH levels, the temperature, the the oxygenation of it, um, you know, to see what it looks like over time. And because we're little robots and we swim around, everything is GPS tagged and it's it's timestamped. So you get this really sort of beautiful picture over 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 a period of time of how that water body changes, um, which is particularly useful I think, I think to a lot of government departments. But then we have really cool um, clients like like Disney and uh, Universal in Orlando who use us because uh, you know Disney might be firing up shell casings every single night for, for fireworks and they need to clean that out the water uh, or they have algae problems because it's Florida and there's a lot of nitrate in that water. Um, so we, yeah, we, we have anything from hotels and golf courses um, looking to clean up their water spaces. Um, typically, though, we find it's people who are looking for a new way of doing things um yeah and normally emissions free so i mean obviously there are boats that can go out and you know but they're they're using diesel engines and and there's a lot of maintenance on those things um this is purely you know you pick up your 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 rhumba your way shark and you throw it in the water let it do its thing and it brings everything back to shore so i I think people are looking for a cheaper but faster way of doing it you know and uh, we provide that
0: it's amazing so what what do you anticipate over the next couple of years in terms of your scale up and and the number of these drones that you anticipate deploying i imagine that the demand for these could be astronomical as different potential users catch on to the opportunity
1: yeah absolutely i think one of our biggest problems is that we're a well a well-kept secret at the moment so 2023 we, we plan to go very big in, in in sort of marketing and getting out there um the, the future is quite bright because it, it just it just you know, the more of these that you have in the water, the more data you're collecting, the more you understand what's going on in the water. And we can sort of start correlating that data quite nicely worldwide. We want to put around 200 into the, into the um, into water next year. Uh, we've done 50 so far. Um, but we've got quite a uh, big ambitions for for next year to to really deploy quite a few mainly in north america um it's, it's our sort of bigger market at the moment um america tends to be um really early adopters on this kind of innovation um oddly enough the, the bigger problems are in sort of asian regions malaysia india africa um you know but we're, we're providing a technology that right now is is not so um affordable to everybody um so we're trying to get those numbers up um so we can use that to sort of create smaller and more uh, cheaper cheaper units to to supply to places where they're actually needed. Um, so yeah, we're, we're looking to put two hundred in, in the market next year, um, and I think we'll probably be on track uh, track for that. Um, and then we go bigger. Uh, you know, we, as I say, we bring out bigger versions now for f- to collect more trash. We would like to go offshore um, and do environmental monitoring of um, oil oil rigs and 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 uh, wind farms. Wind farms being particularly quite big out here in in, in Europe. Um, and we're teaming up with a with a large company, um, out here that owns wind farms, that wants to environmentally monitor the um, below and above the surface uh, of what's going on in those particular environments. Where they, you know, you can imagine that they're sticking these huge um, structures up in the middle of, middle of nowhere, but that has to have some effect, even on on that sort of cold um, ocean environment. You know that there's new crustaceans coming in, or there's um, scouring at the bottom of the of the um, uh, of, of the pylons, or, or there's i don't know whatever's happening you know, is it trash being collected or is it killing birds who knows? you know so they want to monitor those more effectively we believe we can do that with autonomous boats and, and send that information back to them uh, quite effectively so the future is quite exciting it, it's like a weird sort of space of um robotics and waste management but you know it's not very sexy but it's quite fun for us
0: yeah who knows maybe for some it is uh, it is sexy yeah, um, I, I'm I'm curious just to geek out a little bit on this. So how does the navigation system work, especially when it's out in the open ocean? Can you describe that for
1: us? Yeah, so, so kind of um, inshore and, and just off coast, we, we use 4G and 5G technology, predominantly 4G. It's got a longer range um but it's we built them so you know coming from africa i, I see everything that, that goes there needs to be very simple robust and easy to use and if it breaks down it needs to be repaired quite easily so um the actual hardware itself is just two thrusters um you know on and off and that, that kind of gives you direction as well um but the internal side of it is uh, where we've done the heavy lifting so um our, our main employment basis is kind of mechatronics and, and robotics guys um when you get your drone, you literally hit a button, it turns on, connects with the uh, satellites above it like your cell phone would do, and all the comms go through that. Uh, it has a LiDAR on top, um, so it's got a 360-degree kind of eye of what's going on around it. Um, you can set the path with uh, waypoints, so literally plot and pan where you want it to go because generally our customers know where the trash is, um, so there's no point in going right across all the water. You just go for the, the areas where you know it accumulates. Um, that LiDAR, though, gives it a sense of... Um, collision avoidance. So if something moves in front of it rather quickly, it can stop and go, okay, I'll just wait for that to move out. Or if there's a boat or something that it wasn't on the map, um, it'll kind of work its way around it and carry on its path. So it's fairly intelligent. We're just building a um, what we call a shark. You'll notice we use shark a lot, but it's kind of our, our main thing. We just um, built what we call a shark pod, which is a docking station for five drones. Um, and we're writing now um, over the next year sort of um, more software that will let those drones talk to each other and become more efficient as they get deployed. So if you can ma- imagine the shark dock going up, there's five drones that connect to it. They're going out 24 seven and they'll begin to realize that in corner X on a Wednesday when the wind's blowing in a particular direction, that's where most of the trash goes. Um, and they'll be able to say to their buddies, hey, there's a lot of trash out here. Who can come and help me? And drone one will say, look, I'm, I've got not enough battery to get through, I'm too full. Uh, drone two will go, I'm on my way. Drone three will say, I'm too far away to help out, but let me know as I come back in if you still need help. And they'll still start, you know, and they'll start learning their environment. So they'll become more and more efficient. And the whole aim there is to just collect as much trash while it's on the surface before it falls to the bottom. Once it's at the bottom, very difficult to get, um, very difficult to dredge out. And that's where it starts breaking up and becomes microplastic. It becomes fish food, essentially. So the more that we can clear off the top, focus on the surface, get it back to shore before it breaks down, the better it is to recycle, but also the better it is for our own health. Because there's so much um, of this microplastics breaking down now where when it gets out into the ocean, it uh, algae out in the ocean or seaweed naturally attaches to it, and it begins to smell and look like the fish's food you know, that they look at it and they don't see plastic. They say, Hey, that smells like my, my kind of thing. And they'll, they'll smash that, eat it. We catch the fish, bring it back to shore. And we end up ingesting the very plastic that we threw into the water. So the faster you get to the stuff, the better. And that comes down to efficiency and how how quickly you can, you can clean, you know, and that's, um, yeah. So the, the, the future is quite exciting. You can geek out for years, you know, it, 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 it's the, uh-huh. the, the more clever these things become um, the better we do, you know,
0: how long? I I know I'm asking you to make sort of a, a a generalization or or an averaging statement, but how long generally do we have if plastic is first getting into a
1: waterway before it sinks to the bottom? Um, it's it's so it's so tricky because there's so many different types of plastic and um, what form that plastic takes. So, I mean, a plastic bag can get to the bottom quite quickly because it, it's once the air's out of it, it becomes fairly heavy, and it'll just sort of start sinking to the bottom, then it'll get laden down in mud, and then it'll sit there and start breaking up. But I mean, that breaking up period takes, I mean, that takes 10, 20, 30 years, you know. Um, Out in the ocean, uh, with wind, sunlight, and wave action, um, bottles, those kind of things, they break down quite fast. Um, And by fast, I mean, one to two years. Um, but you know when you're a single bottle floating right the way through the Pacific one to two years is not a hell, hell of a lot of time and there's, uh, and there's a lot of plastic out there um so yeah it really depends on on what plastic it is um and 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 where it is as well you know if, if there's a lot of waves a lot of wind probably breaks down far faster uh, a plastic bag will sink to the bottom fairly fast you know if it's weighted down it, it yeah and then it sits there and there's nothing you can do about it you know other than diving and getting it out I guess
0: Right. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining, I'm picturing here a bunch of the major river deltas around the world, uh, knowing that a whole lot of the uh, plastics pollution is coming into ocean from, um, from rivers, from farther inland. And I, I imagine you could have an entire fleet of these shark drones right at the mouth of a river yeah. 24-7, basically, cleaning that up. Is that, is that part of the
1: vision? Absolutely, I think us and uh, there's a few other solutions that are, are sort of working in the same direction. You know, I, I don't, I don't for one minute believe we're, we're the silver bullet, but I think there's there's enough solutions out there that all paired together could do uh, you know some really healthy damage. Um, oh, the rivers are interesting. We were in um, Thailand just before uh, 2009 or in 2019, and their the rivers and the, the, you know it's full of rubbish, but it's not it's not anyone's fault because that's their. They don't have they don't have a waste management system like we do in the West. You know where where you know garbage truck comes around picks up your trash and takes it away. You know their their, their removal system. They don't want to live amongst trashes. It's the river. You know that's they put it in the trash and the trash is gone. Sorry, they put the trash in the water and the trash is gone. So that's where this massive accumulation of 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 um, plastic comes, especially in the Asian regions where you, you're just having these these very poor countries dumping trash in, in, in the rivers and then it disappears, but it obviously doesn't disappear. It ends up in our in our um in our oceans. So yeah, I, I think the delta is kind of the the strategic points. So like I say, you don't have to cover all the water. You have to go where the trash collects. Um and, and yeah, you get that right and, and I think it, it'll be fairly effective over the next few years.
0: Yeah, I'm imagining uh, the the United Nations sustainable development goals, obviously uh, clean water is is one of the 17 goals. And I'm curious, working and living in Europe in the EU, what is the environment like there for environmentally oriented uh, startups and, and growth phase companies that are addressing these very important environmental issues? Is this I mean, in the US, right, we have a good number of uh, venture capital firms that are helping to seed and and provide early stage funding for a lot of these emerging technologies. There's some, uh, and thankfully, there's increasing support coming from certain sectors of the government as well, uh, especially around regenerative agriculture right now. I'm curious, what does that landscape look like uh, from your perspective working there in Europe?
1: I would say that um, we might be slightly ahead in the US. Um, the US ahead is, is far, far more ahead on VC funding, and, and you're right. There's a lot of them are shifting into into some more ESG kind of sustainability focus. Um, I think the government here, as as an EU overall, um, we, the grant the grant funding here is insane. I mean, like a really, I mean, we we got given two million euros to go and develop um, one of our products from the government with no expectations of return on investment or anything. You know, it was just we like what you're doing and. and you know they're like the innovation. So I, I think I think the 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 process to get a, a sort of more sustainable startup going. I this and I'm just anecdotally, you know, I kind of I travel backwards and forwards between here in the States, but anecdotally it feels easier to start a um a, a more sustainable startup uh, in in Europe. Um I think the focus is is quite strong here on on that. Um but then, to get VC finance in the states for a more sustainable startup might be easier than getting it here, because when um, the VC landscape here is harder, um, it's uh, your 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 ticket sizes are smaller, and a lot of it is well, you know, what was your revenue last year, or you know, all based on kind of you might as well go to a bank sometimes. But that kind of early stage finance is taken care of by grants, uh, by grant funding, and a lot of that is focused on innovation, uh, sustainability, circular. It, it's all kind of focused on that. So I. For me, if you were going to start a company, I mean, I I bought this company out from South Africa to here because I I really like the the innovation and sustainability landscape. Um, for me, it was quite it was quite easy to do. Um, you know, it, it was and there's no there's very few barriers to entry, which is which is great.
0: That's so interesting. So you know, without without uh, divulging anything that might be proprietary, what as a CEO and founder, what does your projection look like in the next year or two in terms of the various sources of needed capital that that you're working on right now
1: so we're we're actually in the process of um i don't know about cancer that's what i can (laughs) we're 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 looking we're looking at a listing next year i think that's that's our kind of um our, our process at the moment um and it's although we might seem a little bit early stage um to do that um we've always had this this peculiar sort of like um issue of we're a software company but we're also a hardware company and we're you know, involved in sustainability in ESG. So that, that fit is not right for all VCs. Um, we fit one side of it, but we don't fit the other side. Um, and we made a decision earlier this year to just go the the, the kind of the listing route, um, raise the capital we need. We, we see a very clear future of how, we, how we're how we going to evolve, um, but we need a lot of capital to do that because of the, the hardware the hardware side. Um, so that is our current sort of focus. Um we might, you know, if we get to the right VC before that stage, you know, maybe, 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 maybe we we take a we take a short left as we say in South Africa. But you know, it, it's uh, at the moment that that is kind of our, our our view is that we we want to get big very fast, um, and we've got a lot of ambition. So so we need the capital to 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 kind of grow.
0: I gotta I gotta ask uh, another uh, kind of nerdy business question. So what what are some of the biggest bottlenecks you're facing? Setting aside, you know, capital. Uh, what what does it look like scaling up the manufacturing? Do you have the personnel you know readily yeah. available? What are yeah. some of the challenges you're facing?
1: There? I I would say our biggest our biggest um barrier to entry right now is that we're not selling a ubiquitous uh, product you know it, it's, it's it has to be explained every time it has to be you can't compare it to anything I, I always call it a Roomba for water but you know it, it it's 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 not that easy There there are um, we operate in a, in a four to five billion dollar market so it's not that we're <laughs> you know we're not we're not swimming around in a small pond but um, you know there, there are other products that are sort of aged out now that that do the job. Um, we've got to go. Hey, we've got a robot that kind of does what you're doing right now, and it's going to be cheaper than this. And it, it's a very difficult um, step, especially in the the marine space that we work in, to convince people who are older um, that this technology is actually better. Uh, and I don't mean I don't mean that in, I'm not calling out sort of the older generation, but it, but it's it's a, it's, a, it's a big switch, you know, from taking diesel engine um, motors and high power kind of um, collecting vessels into going okay, let's use little robots. So there's a there's a big jump there. So that from a from a attraction point has always been harder. So our sales cycles are three to six months. It's slow. Um, from a scalability side, it, it's actually fairly easy. We, uh, you know, it's it, it, as easy as it can be for anybody trying to scale manufacturing. Um, but we've got it down to quite a, a fine, a fine process now. Um, we would like to manufacture in a cheaper space. It's not cheaper. To, it's not cheap to, to manufacture in the EU, uh, certainly where we are in the EU. Um, so some some offshore offshore um manufacturing would, would would be nice because that would bring the cost down and also make it more accessible for some customers. Um staff, i maybe and you know I'm, I'm hoping that it that it's it's a it's a short bump in the road, but I think everyone is struggling to get the right the right kind of um human capital at the moment. You know, it, it's even down to sales, you know, it, it's 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 very difficult to people I don't know where they all went, Aaron. May. I don't know what's happened in the last eighteen months. I know we had the pandemic, and I know we had you know issues, but we're still the same amount of people. <laughs> but I think people have just yeah, you know, I don't know, gone and found things that they really love to do and are not worried about the money anymore um one thing we do have on our side I must admit that everyone that's come in we have a very low attrition rate because everyone that's come in is a robotics guy who love or girl who loves um who loves sustainability and it, and that's a very hard fit for some people to find you know you can go and build Autonomous cars, but it's not necessarily giving back to the environment. Where we've got a particular kind of um, target of, of people that, that that like us and stay with us, fortunately, but finding them is becoming difficult. I must say, I've noticed that in the last twenty-four months, easily.
0: Yeah, you know, this is this is a theme that's been coming up uh, in many different conversations that we're part of. Just recently, we interviewed uh, Miguel Gill, the CEO of Organic India, the tea and supplements company. Uh, with global supply chains, and uh, he had some similar comments, and I'm I'm really curious because we we've been looking at uh, several innovative models around the world, like the Mondragon cooperatives in the Basque region of Spain. Here in the U.S., uh, B uh, corps are a big uh, deal in certain sectors that that are exhibiting, demonstrating uh, deep commitments and quantitative commitments to various social and environmental goals and targets, including for their uh, employees and teams. And I'm curious, is that is that kind of, are those kinds of mechanisms also robust in Europe? and does that help with the attracting and, and retaining talent?
1: I, I think it does. Um, we haven't gone um, as big on the B Corp side as, as as the US have, and that to me impresses me endlessly. I, I, I'm trying to convince our guys um, for our US company to start as a B Corp, but there's a few hurdles to jump through. Um, but I don't think I don't think it's as strong. I, I think it's it's more innate. It's it's more about the person here. So so kind of they will more gravitate to a company they feel is more environmentally friendly and, and sort of. Um, uh, Kind of on on the on the same track, but we don't we don't have a necessarily a word for it or like a you know this would be a core cool com- company. So you will you know um, I, I think that that uh, again it's anecdotal, but I, I think that particularly in, in 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 Netherlands that there is a a wish to um, uh, work for something that is good rather than just getting paid, and and it's it's certainly in in the, the democratic graphics I find between the sort of 20 and 32 year olds for some reason is that kind of either guys have been in, in big corporates and now want to give back we have a particular thing here where you know it, it's not it's not abnormal to work for three days for one company and two days for another company um in fact one of our roboticists I'm sure you won't mind <laughs> me telling you um came to us the other day he said look I, I love working for you guys but I want to scale it back to four days because a friend of mine's just started this really cool environmental uh company that does something in coffee and he's asked me if I can code for him and I, I wouldn't mind doing that and that's cool because like we're getting the best of Dennis every day, um, but he's also fulfilling other things in other environmental spaces that he wants to be involved in. And I, I kind of respect that. So I I think here it's kind of a sounds, sounds very, um, sounds very liberal and, and, and very um, kind of airy fairy, but it works. Um, you know, people get paid well, but they also get to do what they want um, and they have the space to do it. And I think that sort of, it keeps people involved, you know, it keeps people sort of, um, with you which is great uh yeah. again, we just want to find more of them
0: yeah that's so that's so interesting richard and i coming to mind for me right now is a discussion we had a while back with our colleague eric lombardi who's very engaged in the social enterprise movement which actually seems to be more robust in europe so far than here in north america and uh yeah it's this this attraction and retention of talent vis-a-vis you know, so-called competitive advantage as we move more and more into the 21st century. It's a very interesting topic to uh, to consider and to navigate.
1: It's hard to get your head around it as well, especially you know when you're running the company that some guy wants to go and work for another company for, for, for one day. Um, but you see the value in it, they're, they're, they're so fulfilled. You know that you you just get you get more back. You know it, it's it's a it's a kind of, it's a win win. You know I look at um, I think it was Finland who were trialing out Finland or Denmark were trialing out sort of four day weeks, and I, I kind of looked at that and I thought well you know that's that's probably not. I would like to do that because we, we don't necessarily. The U.S. is an exception, and I'm sure you know. And you guys just work and work. Um, but here, um, you know, a four-day week works because you know you're going to get the value out of your employee, uh, and they're going to appreciate that 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 one day off. And everything else is pretty much you know healthcare is taken care of, all that kind of thing. So that that kind of that that worry is removed. Um, and again, I'm coming from Africa, so we just worked our asses off, you know, kind of there was no there was no sort of safety net, you just had to had to work. So they come from that to to the Netherlands, which is kind of on a is, is a lot more socialist, I, I guess, you know, kind of in a, in a democratic a democratic social way, um, getting used to that kind of, it's okay to offer your employees 30 days a year holidays. And that's where we start, you know, they, they have a of 30 days and and some guys go higher than that. Um, you can work three days or you can work five days or you can work four days. That's okay. But I don't see any loss of anything to my company because of that. And that's that's what I'd be looking out for. I'd be looking at, hang on a moment, these guys are working three days a week and I'm, you know, my my company's suffering. It's anything but that, it's probably absolute reverse.
0: Yeah, it's very much a matter of quality of value contribution yeah. over of time and speed or whatever other metric there might be.
1: No, absolutely.
0: So interesting. Well, let's, let me remind our audience, this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your get host, Aaron William Perry. Today, we're speaking with Richard Hardiman, the founder and CEO of RAN Marine Technology. And you can find uh, RAN Marine at ranmarine.io. And on Twitter, it's at Uh Instagram, you can find Richard Hardiman. And uh, we're also gonna include a link to Richard's uh, TEDx talk and his AASCB award uh, information as well want to give a quick shout out to a few of our partners and sponsors uh this includes uh purium the organic uh superfoods company and you can get discounts and join the purium family at dot slash purium of course waylay waters the hemp infused aromatherapy soaking salts you can join our monthly giving program and receive monthly shipments of the waylay waters at varying levels You'll find that on both the whyonearth.org website and the waylaywaters.com website. And Organic India, just mentioned them earlier, uh, providing wonderful organic and fair trade uh, Tulsi and other herbal tea and uh, supplements products. And of course, got to mention my new novel, Veriditas The Great Healing is Within Our Power. It's uh, 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 book.com if you want to get a copy and learn more about this novel, in which the healing of our planet and our culture is a central theme. And uh, Richard, it's it's uh, so fun and so interesting talking with you about your technology. I wanna turn just a little bit here and ask you a little more on the uh, personal front uh, you know, you, you were sharing with me before we started recording that you're married, you have three children. Um, what's family life like and, and how do you maintain the, you know, so-called work-life balance with everything that you've got going on with Rand Marine?
1: Yeah, it, it, it is tricky. I think anyone who, who's started a business and, and kind of like try to grow it, it knows that, that it becomes your it probably becomes your other wife or, or your other husband uh, or your other partner and, and tends to dominate. Um I I think in the early days it was really tough. Um, you know, we 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 took a risk and and started the business with, with we were the first movers in the market. Not always a good thing. Everyone will tell you it's a good thing, but it's not always I've had businesses where we've moved first and it was completely the wrong time. Um but in this particular case, it was um it was something that once it got going and people started talking about it, I knew. I, you know, it, it wasn't about making money necessarily. I mean, our money that we make goes back into creating new cool products, which is which is quite exciting. Um, but it was more like, I, I'm onto something here. This is something that can actually make a difference. I, I, in a TEDx talk, I always talk about being an accidental environmentalist. I I was pretty blinded to, you know, I, I kind of understood that we're environmental problems the climate change and we were doing a lot of damage, but I wasn't aware of the plastics problem, uh, for instance. Um, my whole journey started because I watched two guys take out plastic out of water on a boat using a net. You know, I thought, hell, there must be another way of doing that. Um, and that's where I sort of came out with robots, you know, and I made that, took that idea and made that into a prototype and took that prototype into a business and we grew from there. Um, but it was it was purely accidental. Um, but that was a hard, a hard period. Uh, I would say the first two or three years, I was flying between South Africa and, and the Netherlands every two weeks. And not great for the environment, I'm, I'm absolutely aware. Um, but, you know, I, I, had no else, I had a safety net in, in South Africa. My wife was working, my, my kids were at school, they were safe. Um, and I wasn't too sure how this business was going to go. And I didn't want to move us to a completely foreign country and then have that business bomb and we'd be stuck there um so for the first 3 years it, it was it was tough um but when i got here oddly enough it it got easier um we we um Again, because of the this of the, the, the Dutch way or, or the kind of this European way of life of, of kind of not everything's above work. Um I still push myself quite hard, but this afternoon, three o'clock, I was taking my my son to tennis lessons because you're allowed to do that as a father here, you know, no one no one France. Um in fact, my, my kids reminded me yesterday that Wednesday is here. Um kids at junior school get out at um, they get out early. And the whole point of that, the government implemented it so that um, fathers would take the afternoon off and take their kids to a sports thing or, or kind of take them out to the park. Um, my kids reminded me um, that I hadn't done that recently, so you know it gets quite entrenched. I, I I'm, I as you grow, I think, and you employ, I, I'm, I'm all about employing people who are better than you. Um, and, and, and once you employ the right key people and they start taking pressure off and you can trust that process that you, you start to become a little bit more relaxed. I mean, you're always worried about your babies sort of growing, but, but you know, that the key people are, are sort of in place to, to do things better than you would have done. Um, and I think over the past, maybe 18 months or so that I've, I've got a lot more comfortable in the fact that our there are more clever people doing the stuff they should be doing. I'm allowed to focus on strategy and new product and sort of growth. Um, so I'm, I'm probably more relaxed than I used to be. Um, but there were, there were points where I, I was absolutely, I mean, we could have gone under two or three times. Um, you know, we, we were close to bankruptcy a number of times. Um, couldn't see ways out, went through depression, went through, you know, all that kind of those wonderful roller coaster rides that come with um, those entrepreneurial journeys. But, um, but I would like to say six years later, we're, we we're, we're kind of in a, or I'm, I'm in a better space and a, a better headspace, which is, which is nice, you know, to be able to come through that, be able to spend time with my family, have my great little business up the road. That's hopefully going to explode quite soon. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, that's really exciting. Yeah. My, uh, my kids have been through a, a bit of the same, uh, witnessing over the years. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's neat because my mine are uh, now in their twenties and, uh, They, I think, have a real appreciation and and a healthy uh, uh, respect for what the entrepreneurial journey means and and can look like at times, those, those higher stress points at times, you know.
1: My kids are a bit younger, although you look younger than me. But I'm, i obviously started late. Um, but I'm hoping that, that it does rub off and that they will see. I, I, I look at my dad, and he he was a hard worker, I and mean, he always he worked for one company for years and years and years, engineer head down, and I always respected that work, work ethic. Um, unfortunately, I think I probably had too much ADHD to kind of like have the same the same concentration as him. But it did rub off on me, you know. And I, I kind of learned later on in life that I didn't see him because he was working, and you know, kind of that was he was doing the best he for us and i i kind of hope that that translates to my kids as well um I mean, you've written a book i, I i'm I, I don't know how many is that your first book no it can't be how many books no are no you? we've
0: got uh, i've written several including a non-fiction book called why on earth that provides the comprehensive right. foundation for the work that we're doing through the why on earth community yeah, i mean i mean
1: Aaron, to me for anybody i i have three novels that are half written and a complete yeah. run um, but that's all I kind of want to do. Um, so when you hold a book up that size, I'm like, man, no, and that, that to me is just like kind of, it's gold. I mean, you know, to be able to do that and, and have that ability, but not, not to start something, but to also end it and have it in your hand. I mean, it's so impressive, man. It, it, it's, 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 quite, it's quite beautiful to see. The fact you've done it more than once is just, yeah, it makes me extremely jealous.
0: Well, it's it's. I, I appreciate you saying that, and as you can, I'm sure, imagine it. It requires a lot of discipline, and, and a whole lot of the process is uh, less than pleasant. Really, when you're when you're in the thick of the editing, it's you know there are some similarities to starting and running businesses. Absolutely,
1: Absolutely. yeah. you hit the dead yeah. ends? You don't know how to go, where to go next. Are you doing the right thing? Are you doing the wrong thing. Is the plot going in the right direction? The business and in books, yeah. It's uh, a. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah
0: yeah yeah that, well this will be fun to pick up this thread and maybe even some of the uh behind the scenes roller coaster up and down do stuff you do? that you've experienced we'll do our our behind the scenes uh short segment for our ambassador network in, in just a few minutes and uh it's been such a joy uh having this opportunity to visit with you today richard and, and to hear about the the wonderful work that you're doing with ran marine technology and that the uh Technology you've developed and are continuing to develop can can really help the cleaning up and the healing of our world. And uh, before we sign off with our podcast interview, I just want to open the the floor back to you to see if there's anything else you'd like to share with our audience. Anything else you'd like to share about your company uh, before closing?
1: Yeah, I, I think this was a. I've always said it's a happy mistake, and I'm an accidental environmentalist. But I'm very glad it went that way. Um, and you know, I, I know there are people out there with ideas because I'm like, you know, people have these ideas, but they just don't action them. Um, and there are people out there with some amazing ideas that oh what if I just did this, you know, and I kind of, I, I would just, if you're listening now and you have that idea, I would just push it and go and do execute it. Cause an idea is great, but it's, it's not worth very much, but there's so many good ideas out there that are fundamentally able to change our current situation in the world. Um, that, that, that actually might be the way you're supposed to go. And you're sitting at your desk going, ah, you know, this is what I'm doing because I need that salary check. Um, I'm not for one instance saying, quit your job, but but stop working on that idea and making it a reality because um, it took me too long. I, I'm, I'm probably five years. It's the right time. I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I should have actually, I had the idea five years before I actually started doing it. And I, I regret that because I, I think we could have made an impact if we were five years ahead of where we are right now. So yeah, don't sit on the ideas, make them happen. Beautiful. We'll leave it
0: with that. Thanks so much, Richard. It's wonderful talking with you.
1: Aaron, thank you. I really appreciate the time and uh, and thanks for the platform.
2: The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org backslash support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code whyonearth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page.